The last few weeks, we have been looking at how Jesus is the perfect Savior, and he's the perfect sympathizer. And last week, Pastor Daniel uh, led you in a time to understand that Jesus is not only that, that he's a perfect Savior and sympathizer, but that we've got to help each other to stay on the path so we don't veer off the path and allow our sin to come in and harden our hearts against God. Today, fitting of Mother's Day, I want to talk to you about real rest. Everybody say real rest. And how many of you that are moms or that have been, uh, you know, maybe your kids are even out of the house, but you've been a mom at some point, how many of you would say you could use some real rest right about now? Let's talk this morning about real rest. Let's pray. Jesus, I pray this morning, Lord, that as we dive into this theme of real rest, that you would show us what it means, Lord God, to get rest all the way down in the depths of our soul. That God, as we study this, this passage in Hebrews, Lord, we could begin to understand the rest of God on our lives. And that, God, we could walk out of here, those that are tired, those that are heavy laden, those that feel weary in their life right now, could walk out of here understanding the rest of God and everything you want to do. In Jesus' name, everybody said? Well, this morning, as, uh, as you can see, we are talking about rest. And uh, whether or not I have a good message or not, I don't know if you've ever had a chance. You won't forget this sermon uh, because you probably most likely have never seen a bed on stage in church. Okay? So how many of you, this is the first time you've ever seen a bed on stage in church? So we're winning. We're winning already uh, before we even get going here. And we're talking about real rest. And as I, as I sit on this bed, I, uh, I'm just reminded of the fact that there are actually two groups of people in the room. The first group of people that is here are the people that you literally could be in mid-sentence talking to your spouse, and it doesn't matter, like you could be in the depth of conversation, it could even be a stressful conversation, but when tired hits you, you are out within seconds. And it's not even like, it doesn't even have to be at night. You could be out in seconds right now. In fact, I'm looking around and some of you are on the verge of it already. I mean, you, you, you could fall asleep so fast anywhere. In fact, if you're like my wife, let me just tell you a little bit about my wife. My wife, when she gets tired, she actually looks for places to sleep. And so she literally has had times uh, where she has been in churches, never, never our church, but other churches, uh, where she's getting tired and she's looking around and going, and her mind starts dreaming of like, man, right underneath those chairs would be a really great place for a nap. And, and she literally can fall asleep anywhere, I kid you not. In fact, it's so bad with my wife, Christy, that she has had many times, I'm not talking like two or three, many times throughout our marriage where she's had a half-hour drive home from somewhere in the city, you know, across the city, of, you know, half hour, maybe less sometimes, and she gets tired, and she actually pulls over on the road somewhere and takes a nap so she can make it home. And so how many of you say that's a different level? Like, yeah, I'm not talking about a long road trip. I'm talking about a 20-minute drive home, and she gets tired, so she has to pull over. And then, and, and let me just ask you, how many of you are like that in the room? Raise your hands if you're, you can, you have no trouble sleeping. Boom, 
you are out, okay? Now, most likely, it's not always true, but there are probably many of you that, that raised your hands that are not married to somebody like that. You're probably married to somebody like me. And I have a hard time going to sleep when I've planned to go to sleep for an entire day. I have to start thinking about bedtime sometime in the afternoon because that's when my brain has to start realizing in about five or six hours, you're going to get tired and you're going to want to go to sleep. And my bedtime routine takes about two hours and it's a whole it's a whole thing that I have to go through. It's literally like stages of a bedtime that I have to walk through. There's a bath that's included every night. There's uh, some melatonin that needs to be taken. And, and uh, yeah, yep, the whole deal, y'all. There's a, it's usually a little bit of comfort food involved. And, and uh, it's literally like this whole process that, that I have to go through to be able to crawl into bed at some point. And the problem is that my wife, again, she can fall asleep at any time. And so she doesn't mind bringing up something stressful or something that gets my mind uh, running and going because she's okay because, like, within minutes, she's going to be asleep, you know? And so, but she'll do that. I go, sweetie, sweetie, hold on. You're messing up my rhythm. You're messing up my routine. I'm now in bedtime process right now. And it's a two-hour journey to fall asleep. How many of you are more like that in the room? Okay, your mind races, your mind runs, you know, all of that. And I won't ask any of you who needs medication uh, here in the room and, and all of that. But that's, that's me. You know, we're talking about rest this morning. Not only physical rest, we're also talking about just being exhausted. And I was thinking about moms and that moms, I think, are some of the most tired people on the planet. Especially moms that are moms of newborns. And, and for some of you, you've got to let your mind go all the way back, okay, and, into that stage where you were a zombie for years of your life. Uh, uh, in fact, there are years of your life you don't even remember what happened those years. I was thinking about moms, and I was thinking about a mentor of mine that, that traveled, and, and what he did was he, before he had kids, he did uh, parenting seminars. And, uh, and he would call those, those parenting seminars the keys on raising your kids for God. And, uh, and then he had a, a child. And, uh, and then after he had his first child, he said he changed the name of the seminar to Hope on Raising Your Kids for God. And then he said his child turned about five years old. and He changed the title again to Thoughts on Raising Your Kids for God. And then he said that when his son turned into his teenage years, he said, I stopped doing parenting seminars, and I just started doing prayer seminars with parents. Because parenting, man, it'll take it out of you, won't it? We're talking about physical rest this morning. We're talking about not only physical rest this morning, I want to talk to you about a term that I'm going to entitle soul rest. Soul rest is different than physical rest. You see, soul rest, actually, what happens with soul rest is you can, not, you can be weary in your soul even after you've had eight or nine hours of sleep. It doesn't matter how long the nap was. It doesn't matter how many days you've had of good sleep. You still feel exhausted. Soul rest is like something 
that feels weary down into your bones. It's an exhaustion in your soul. It's so deep down. It's a weariness. It's a frustration. It's a dissatisfaction. There's something in your soul that cries out that just feels so tired. And how many of you would be honest enough to say in this last year and a half since this pandemic began and the racial strife and the political tensions and everything that has faced not only our country, but everything that has faced your home. How many of you would be honest and say you've had some moments where your soul was exhausted? Yeah. It wasn't about getting a nap. It wasn't about getting more sleep. It was literally like an exhaustion deep in the innermost parts of you. In fact, I I just want to give you some signs, if I could, today. I did this several months ago. Uh, and, but these are signs that I just wanted to go over again. These are some signs of soul exhaustion. And, uh, and so let's, let's just walk through these really quick. Number one, you come back from vacation just as overwhelmed as before you left. How many of you have ever had this happen? You go on vacation thinking that's the answer. You get back and your soul is still exhausted. Number two, when you get eight hours of sleep but you wake up just as tired. Number three, When you dream about living a different life than the one you are living, that's a sign of soul exhaustion. Number four, when even your body aches for no apparent reason. Number five, when you feel deeply disconnected, isolated from everybody else in your life. It's as if if you're surrounded by people, but you feel like you're living on an island. Number six, You have intense mood swings, and you find yourself being overly emotional. When all of a sudden you just snap and you begin to to yell at, at a family member, or you snap and you just begin to cry, and you can't figure out why you're crying, that's a a sign. Your soul is exhausted. Number seven, you feel like you're on autopilot every day. In other words, you're just waking up, you're doing the deal, you're going through the motions of the day but you feel like you're on autopilot. Number eight, you wake up with dread in your heart to face the day. And number nine, the activities that used to bring you so much joy do nothing for you at this point. So what do you do when you feel this way? In fact, the question that I want to ask us today is this question. What do you do with a tired soul? How do you find rest when your soul is tired? I mean, not just physically exhausted, not just something that a bed and laying down will take care of, but what do you do when you feel exhaustion in your bones, in your soul, on the, in the innermost part of you? Well, that's what we are going to journey through today. And here's the good news. If you'll take notes, if you'll pay attention, if you'll really get a hold of the concepts I'm about to lay out for you, I believe this morning that some of you can start drinking less. I believe if we can answer this question, some of you might be able to finally jump over the cigarette addiction that you have in your life. I believe if we can answer this question, some of you are going to get more sleep than you've ever had. I believe, watch this now, you may be able to get over the depression, and I believe that if you'll listen this morning and you'll lean in, you'll take notes, that I'm about to save you a whole bunch of money on therapy. Hello? What do you do when your soul is tired? 
What do you do, moms, when you've got to run the house and do everything and raise the kids and try to get them to love Jesus and try to provide the basic necessities of their life, but deep on the inside, your soul is exhausted. Well, the unknown author of Hebrews is going to guide us through this soul rest concept. And and let's start. We're going to read Hebrews 4, 1 through 11. And he starts out by saying, therefore, since the promise of entering his, what's that, that word? His rest still stands. Let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. You can hear the urgency in the author's voice. He's saying, hey, be careful. Don't miss this. This is really important. This whole rest principle, this whole rest of God that you can have access to, it's super important. Don't miss it. He's starting in verse 1 by saying, hey, the rest of God is so important. But what does he mean by the rest of God? Well, let's define it because there's actually three different things in this passage. When, when we talk about the, the rest of God, there's three different things that the author is talking about. And right, right about now is the time you're going to want to start uh, taking notes. Because God's rest, first of all, is an assurance of your salvation. It's an assurance of your salvation. God's rest is knowing in your soul that you are right with your maker. Knowing in your soul that you and God are in right relationship. That you've been forgiven of your sin. And that and if something was to happen to you, you stand before him in heaven today. It's, 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 it's this internal satisfaction and peace knowing some, me and Jesus, me and God, me and the Father are in right relationship with each other. It's when the altar call is given and at the end when I invite people you know I'm okay with God. It's this eternal salvation that you have where you've got an assurance that you are right with God and He is right with you. That's God's first principle of, of His rest. The second principle is a satisfaction within your soul. A satisfaction within your soul. Now, let me explain this, what I, what I mean by this. I'm talking about something in your soul is well. You're satisfied. You have purpose. You find pleasure in God. And, and this is beyond circumstantial. This is like, it doesn't matter whether you have, you're a millionaire or whether you're flat broke. Your soul is okay. It's this peace that you have. This like, it doesn't matter what comes my way. It doesn't matter what the circumstances look like. My soul has rest. My soul has peace. My, my soul has a sat, the satisfaction of God upon it. And unfortunately, friends, you can have the first kind of rest where you are assured of your salvation and you can still be lacking in the satisfaction within your soul. So here's what I want to help you understand too because I want to make sure that our theology is right on this when you have satisfaction within your soul, that doesn't mean that you never have storms that come into your life. Hello? Here's what a satisfaction in your soul means. It means, let the storms come as they may, I've still got peace in my soul. In fact, two authors were, I mean, two artists were asked to draw a picture of peace. And the first one drew this incredible serene ocean with this sailboat 
that was going by and children playing on the seashore. And there were no waves. There was no wind. The, the ocean was calm like glass. It almost looked like a, a small pond. and There was mist coming off. I mean, it was a beautiful picture of peace. And, and everybody said, man, that is an incredible picture of peace. The second artist drew this. Let's look at this picture together. So I want you to see this picture because if you can look at the picture, you can't see it super well here, but if you look at the picture, you can see that there's a storm that's happening, that there's wind that is really rushing, and there are waves that are crashing against rocks. But if you look, if you look all the way up, you can see on that cleft right there of that rock. And you may, you may have a hard time seeing it, but there's a little tiny bird on the cleft of that rock that is surrounded. There's just a, a, a little bit of surroundings around them that is, is full of light and that is okay. And I'm here today to tell you, look this way, and Jen already set us up so well as she was talking already, that what happens is when you have God in your life and you have satisfaction in your soul, it's not the absence of storms. It's literally your life can be surrounded by storms, but you know I am protected by God. I'm at peace with God. My soul is okay. Come on. That's the kind of satisfaction, the kind of peace that God wants to give us. And here's the problem when this doesn't happen. When this doesn't happen, and if you call yourself a, a Christian, a, a Christ follower, a believer here in this room, what, 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 when we don't have this kind of peace in our life, listen, y'all, look this way. We handle life like everybody else. We handle life like the rest of the world. When the news happens, when something takes place, and all of a sudden, man, you know, our soul is, is in disarray, and we are not at peace anymore, then when we go to work, and we look like everybody else, and we're kind of in this freak-out mode, just like everybody else is, and they look at us, and they go, what's different between me and you? Hello? But I want to let you know that as Christ followers, you can have deep satisfaction in your soul. There's a third kind of rest that God wants to give us. And that is the promise of heaven in your future. The promise of heaven in your future. In other words, there's a new day coming. There's a day coming where there won't be any more storms. There's a day coming when there'll be no more pain, no more suffering, no more sorrow, no more betrayal. There's a day coming when your body will be whole. There'll be no more sickness. There'll be no more temptations, no more sin that comes your way. There's a day coming where we will be with him in heaven and all will be at peace. All will be at rest. And I got to tell you, back in the day, there's some of our older saints in the room. We don't have any old saints. We have older saints here in the room. And they can remember a season. They remember a time where man, we used to talk about heaven. We used to preach about heaven. Man, heaven was a place that we looked forward to, to going someday. We used to tell, you know, testify about heaven and how we'll be there someday. And for some reason, that has kind of left the church. But I'm here today to tell you that heaven is a place 
we all get to go to someday if we are followers of Jesus. And let me just tell you all something. The greatest thing about heaven is that Jesus will be there. We get to be with him. No more sorrow. No more sickness. This is God's rest. So God's rest is an assurance of salvation. It's an assurance of the satisfaction in our soul that we live with here on this planet. And then lastly, it's this, this promise of heaven in the, the future. And let's, let's look at verse 2. For we also have had the good news proclaimed to us just as they did, but the message they heard was of no value to them because they did not share the faith of those who obeyed. Now, what, what does it mean when the author is saying them and they? Who's he talking about in this passage? Well, remember, this, this book was written to a group of Jewish believers who had, who had now, they, they had believed that Jesus was the Messiah. And who he's talking about is he's talking about their ancestors, the, the people of Moses, their, their great, great, great ancestors that had followed, uh, G, followed God into the wilderness. And they had been set free from the captivity of of Egypt and they had left and God had taken them to the promised land and the promised land was a place called Canaan which is actually now modern day Jerusalem and what happened is it took them about a year of God providing all of these miracles and doing all these great things for them and it got them to the edge of the promised land where they could rest hello and they declined because they said there's too many giants in that land we can't do this and, 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 and guess what? Look this way. Here's what they did. It's something that we do here today. We do this. We decline God's rest, and we choose to walk in our weariness. We decline God's rest, and we choose to walk in our weariness. Now, some of y'all are looking at me like, what are you talking about, pastor? I am, I'm not declining God's rest. I want God's I'm doing everything I can to get rest. I've tried all the tricks, man. I've slept extra hours, I'm on the medication, I'm seeing the therapist, I, I, you know, I'm doing the breathing exercises, I, man, I'm meditating on God's Word, I'm doing everything, I'm doing everything I can, I'm trying all the, the tricks that I can to, to get God's rest. Don't look at me, pastor, and tell me that I've declined God's rest. Here's the problem. It's the same problem that the Israelites had, why they didn't go into the promised land and receive the rest of God, because they didn't believe that they could do it. And guess what? They were right. And the problem with our rest is that we can't do it. We can't receive the rest of God by working harder. We can't receive the rest of God by trying new exercises and all of that. Listen, the rest of God is not something you work for. It's something you receive. And let me emphasize to you today, it is not your rest it is God's rest, and he's giving it to you. Hello? Doesn't, it's not about how hard you've tried. It's about receiving God's rest from him. Now let's look at verse 3 as we talk about the soul rest. Now he who have believed enter that rest just as God has said. So I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. And yet his works have been finished since the creation of the world. Now, what does he mean by those who have believed? Well, listen, and I want, want you to hear me. Listen to me closely. I say this with love. I say this with compassion. This verse is clearly stating, and I, and I did the research to try to 
see if there's any way around what this verse is actually saying. There's no way around this. This is what this verse is actually saying. If you're in this room and you are not a Jesus follower, if you're in this room and you have not yet believed in Jesus, if you, are, if you do not yet have the faith in the life, death, and the resurrection of Jesus so you can be at right relationship with God, here's what this passage is saying. It's saying, those who have believed have the ability to enter into my rest. Those who have not believed and will not believe will never receive the rest of God. And here's what that looks like. They will never have an assurance of their salvation, that God and them are okay. They will never have a deep satisfaction within their soul. They might be happy for a a day, a week, a month, maybe even a year or two, but they will not walk through whatever comes in their life with this deep satisfaction in their soul. They will be faced with trials and temptations and pain and suffering and circumstances that are so difficult, just like the rest of us, the only difference is they will not be able to walk through those circumstances absent of a satisfaction. And number three, there is no promise of heaven. There's no promise of a new day, a better day. Listen, please hear me. If you're not yet following Jesus, if you are not a God follower yet, if you have not put your faith in God, here's the number one thing I can tell you this morning. When you enter into relationship with God through Jesus and you believe in the birth, life, death, and the resurrection of Jesus, you will find rest and you will find an assurance of your salvation. There'll be a satisfaction within your soul and you'll have a promise of heaven in your heart. Verse 4. For somewhere he has spoken about the seventh day in these words. On the seventh day, God rested from all of his work. So now the author in verse 4 is actually inviting us to join in on the rest of God. Because the Bible says, if you go back to Genesis, that God spent six days working really hard and and creating the heavens and the earth. And and then on the seventh day, the Bible says he what? He rested. I just want you to think about that for a second. You think God was tired? You think God was looking at, you know, the Holy Spirit on one side and Jesus on the other and saying, I'm exhausted, fellas. This is rough. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to take a 24-hour nap. I'm about to enter into ugh, heavenly rest. You think God was tired? You think he needed a nap? No, God wasn't tired. God didn't need a nap. God doesn't get tired. God doesn't need naps. Hello? Well, what was he doing then? Why was he resting? Was it that he was exhausted? No, God was not exhausted. Listen closely, friends. When it says God rested, here's what that means. It means that God found pleasure and satisfaction in his own work. That he was looking at his work, and he, was, he, was, he stopped creating every, everything, and he was just looking down and saying, that's amazing. I'm finding pleasure. I'm finding satisfaction in all of that. And what the author is saying is, when we decide to have soul rest, God's rest on our life, what happens is we join God in his pleasure and in his satisfaction. Come on. 
verse 5. And again, in the passage above, he says, They shall never enter my rest. Therefore, since it still remains for some to enter that rest, and since those who formerly had the good news proclaimed to them did not go in because of their disobedience, God again set a certain day. Everybody say a certain day. Come on, say a certain day. God set a certain day. He set a certain day calling it today. This he did when a long time later he spoke through David as in the passage already quoted. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken later about another day. Now, what does he mean by a day, another day, today? Well, the author is not right now referring to a specific day. And the first day that the author is speaking about is the, the day that, that their ancestors had walked to the edge of the, the promised land, the, the, the land of rest that God had for them, Canaan, modern-day Jerusalem, and they declined God's rest, and then they, they wandered around the desert for 40 years, and then 40 years later, they come back to the edge of it again, and when they come back to the edge of it, uh, again, they, they decide to go in. So he's talking about the day that a guy named Joshua took them into the promised land. But I want you to listen to me closely. Something powerful that I discovered in this passage is the name Joshua and the name Jesus are actually one in the same in the Bible. They're both pronounced Yeshua. Now look this way, y'all. Joshua took his people into the promised land. Jesus is, has taken us into the promised land. There was a day. It was the day that he was crucified, that Jesus put himself on a cross for our sins, and he said three words. He said, it is what? He said, it is finished. And when he said, it is finished, the work had been done. God could find rest because we could find rest when Jesus said, it is what? It is finished. Because, listen, the, the Sabbath, and there's a whole other teaching I could do on Sabbath and what it meant back then and what it means for us today. But here's all, all I have time to tell you. In, that, in their time, back when he's talking about their ancestors, back in that time, the Sabbath was a day. And to tell you they took that day seriously was, is a major understatement. I'm talking about no work. I mean, literally, they could do nothing. All the way down to the point where you could not, if you got a wound on your body, you could not wipe the wound because that was, that was considered too much work on the day of Sabbath. They took Sabbath seriously. But I want to tell you, look this way, y'all. Our Sabbath is not in a day. Our Sabbath is in a person. It's in the person of Jesus. We find Sabbath. We find rest in the person of Jesus. And that's why Jesus said these words. I, I want these words to resonate within your soul. Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 through 30. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. And you will find what? Rest for your what? For your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So Jesus has a few key words 
as he talks through this passage, the first word is come. It's an invitation. He's inviting us. He's inviting you. Come. And he says, come who? All. Come all. He wants everyone to come. He's inviting you to come. And as he's, and he's saying, hey, I want you to come if you feel weary, if you feel heavy laden, if you feel burdened. He said, take my yoke. Everybody say yoke. Now, what does he mean by yoke? If you don't know what a yoke is, a yoke is just a, a wooden cross piece that you put on two animals to, to try to keep them together to plow a field. And he, why would he say, take my yoke? Well, he's speaking in this to a, a farming community. They would understand this passage very clearly. And, and here's what he's saying. Hey, he's saying he, when the yoke speaks of strain, it, it speaks of a burden. It speaks of a, a heaviness, a weight that is upon these animals. And he's saying, hey, these religious people have put this heavy weight on you. And some of you feel the weight, the yoke. It is so hard to carry. It is so difficult that it's depressing and it's weighing you down. And he's saying, hey, do you want to exchange a heavy yoke for a lighter yoke? How many of you would take that exchange? I'm just telling you, I do a trip every year. In almost every year, every other year or so, in a place called the Boundary Waters. I'm headed back with a few of our leaders there uh, in a few uh, months. I'll be there. And, and, man, the first Boundary Waters trip that we took, it's a place where you've got to, like, you, you row, 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 row your boat. Literally, row, 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 row your boat. And, and then you find this place called a portage where you pull up and you've literally got to carry everything that you brought, including the canoe, through the woods, to get to the other side on a lake. And I'm just telling you right now, the first portage that we had, those canoes, and I mean, I didn't carry them, but for what I heard from the people that carried those canoes, they were so heavy. They were so heavy. But there's a new kind of canoe. It's a new kind of canoe that is lightweight. And I'm just telling you right now, the first time we got one of those lightweight canoes, those newer uh, canoes, <laughs> I said, give me that canoe, suckers. I'm carrying it today. I didn't want to carry the heavy one. Well, it didn't want to and probably couldn't, okay? A little bit of both. But when the lighter one came, I said, I can carry that. I can do that. Here's what I'm telling you. Jesus is saying, your yoke that you've been trying to carry on your own, exchange that and put my yoke on you. People think being a Christian makes your life harder. I'm just telling you right now, when you become a Christ follower, like for real, your yoke is easier. Your burden is lighter because you are not having to carry it. Jesus is carrying it for you. He says as you do that, as we exchange yokes, you're going to find rest. You're going to find rest in your soul. And in this statement, we, we see this invitation from Jesus. I think the greatest invitation of all time is coming from Jesus where he's saying, hey, come to me, you all you who are weary, heavy laden, and have a burden. I will give you rest. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. Listen, he's saying that soul rest that you need, your mind that won't stop running out of control, 
your job that is making you so tired, those finances that you feel wearied by, worried by and burdensome by, even religion that has come and tried to heap a bunch of law on you, a bunch of rules and regulations and do's and don'ts. He's saying, hey, exchange all that. I want to invite you to an easier life, a yoke that you can carry because I'm actually going to be carrying it. Let's move on as we get ready to close. Christy, as you come. It says, there remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their works, just as God did from his. Verse 11 is key. Listen to this. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will perish by following their example of disobedience. Why would the author make the statement, you've got to make an effort to do this? Well, what does that word actually mean? Let's look at it together. Let's look at that, that phrase. It actually comes down in the original language. It comes down to one word. Let's look at that word together. It means spodazo, okay? Spodazo. That's actually the original language, okay? The Greek language, that phrase, to make every effort, comes down to spodazo. And here's what it means. To endeavor, give all, give all diligence, to be zealous, to strive eagerly, to exert oneself. Now, does, isn't that kind of, di- of a dichotomy with the rest of the passage? Because you're saying, hey, don't work so hard. Take Jesus' yoke on you. Well, here's what I want to tell you. The work that you do to receive the rest of God is not with your hands. It is with your mind and in your heart. It is a work where you are reminding yourself and you are asking God to remind you and you are praying Scripture and you're being reminded, hey, the results are not my own. The results are God's. You are reminding yourself, if I believe, then I receive. If I believe in God, if I believe in Christ, I receive the rest of God. I've got an assurance of my salvation. When the enemy comes and he whispers thoughts to me, you're not right with God. And if you were to die today, I don't know if if you're ready to face judgment, if you're ready to face, you know, condemnation. I, I don't think you're ready. Or when something goes wrong and and you say, man, did that just mess up my relationship with God? The Holy Spirit is there to remind your heart and your mind. No, no, no. God's rest. The assurance of salvation is there. And when the circumstances are coming against you and the waves are crashing in and the wind is blowing back and forth and the hail is coming down and you lose the job and the finances aren't working out and your body is sick and your kids aren't doing well, and when people seem far from God, and you're depressed, and you're worried, and you're trying to put on a smile every day of your life, and you're you're carrying this yoke, listen, the work is not, I got to fix myself, I got to work harder, I got to pull myself up by the bootstraps, I got to do all this, I got to get the new job, I got to find my way, I got to have the right willpower, I've got to help myself, That's not the work, y'all. The work is reminding your mind and your heart the results are God's. I belong to God. I receive the rest of God even in the middle of hard times. My soul is satisfied. 
with God. It's satisfied with Jesus. And then there's the great reminder that one day this life will pass. And those of us in the room that have said yes to Jesus, <laughs> we will stand before him together. It was a day that the apostle Paul, one of the greatest leaders and church planners other than Jesus, probably the most influential man in all of Christian history. It was a day where Paul actually said, I win either way. If I stay here, I have Jesus and I win. But I also win if I go there. Because to be absent from the body is to be what? Present with the Lord. We believe and we receive this rest of God. It's a work in our hearts and our minds. And what I want you to do is, as I know we're in a small group break right now, but I, I want you, when we get back into a small group, or maybe there's somebody in your group that you need to call after today's is over, you need to call this week, and you need to remind each other, stop striving, girl. It's going to be okay. Stop wrestling, dude. Yes, apply, get the job, do what you got to do, but the results are up to God. Rest in Him. It's going to be okay. Reminded of this incredible poem that really describes this entire sermon in four lines. Watch this. Lord Jesus, Thou hast promised rest. Then give it now to me. The rest of ceasing from myself to find my all in Thee. Here's what I want you to write down as we close. Stop striving to achieve your soul rest and start surrendering to Jesus' soul rest. It's not about you finding soul rest for yourself. It's surrendering to him and saying, Jesus, I receive that soul rest in my life. Some of you are so tired today. You're so weary. Some of you don't even realize how weary you are because you've been going and trying to lead and make decisions and lead your family and lead in your jobs and lead in your workplaces. You are so exhausted. Listen. Receive the rest of God. I speak the rest of God over your life today. Receive His rest over your life. I love what Psalm 116, verse 7 says. Return to your rest, my soul, for the Lord has been good to you. Amen? Let's rest in the assurance of our salvation. Let's rest with the satisfaction in our soul. And let's rest in the promise of heaven in our future.